You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. I'm so glad to see you all. Uh, We have a real treat today. Uh, Our brother from the same father, uh, <laughs> Pastor Evan Cologne is going to be here bringing the word. Uh, he comes from us from Recovery House of Worship, uh, just down in South Brooklyn. He is also one of the founders of New City Network, which is a network of churches dedicated to seeing the gospel raising churches being planted uh, in the city context. And so uh, we are a new member of that network. I challenge you, go look it up, uh, see what we're about. We'll be talking more about that in the months ahead. But uh, I am so honored. Uh, Edwin and I have just kind of starting like our friendship and our time together. But he is the kind of person, if you don't know him, Uh, Just from afar, I have admired the anointing of God on this life. And so anytime I get to like get up under it and get a little splash, I am thankful. So I'm excited for that today. Uh, He is, uh, I'm sad to say a thief because he stole my Bible here that I read the teaching text from, but we'll forgive him for that. Um, So let me pull up the teaching text and we'll continue. Are you guys Okay. You good? Okay, I'm gonna need you to perk up. All right, we got a guest in the house. Don't embarrass me, okay? You know your mom always tell you like, don't embarrass me. You better act right. So I'm gonna expect at least two amens from everyone today. <clears throat> Let's make him feel wep- welcome. Okay, here we go. Our teaching text today is Ephesians 6, 11 through 17. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Oaks Church. I'm super jazzed. I'm so excited to be with you. Um, I am thrilled. Like, I feel, I don't know if you feel how excited I am. I am super excited. I grew this mustache for you. That's how down I am. Um, Not true, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm going to pray more for me than for you, but let's go ahead and pray and ask Jesus. We're going to be talking, listen to me, listen to me. We're going to be talking about today about your future about whether it's gonna be a hopeful future or a dismal future. Whether your future is gonna be one that's held with wonderful things that you get to open up and see and enjoy, or you go down a road that harms and hurts not only you, but those around you. It's a really important talk today. So if you're here and you're new, 
and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you're just kind of kicking the Christian tires, we're so glad that you're here. And I have a caveat, okay? So if you don't like today's sermon, good news, I'm not your guy. Patrick is your guy. And he's way better, and you can come back next week, and it'll be dope, and you'll love it, right? So that's number one. Number two, though, if you are kicking the Christian tires, I want you to, I want you to be willing to be open, just be open to the idea that there is a God in heaven who wants to love and protect and come into your life in such a way that he guides, directs, and leads. And so we're going to pray, but um, stick with me. This is going to be, God's going to move. Father, thank you so much for um, the songs that we've sung and the words that we've heard and the scriptures that we've read and the announcements that we get to participate and be a part of. Lord, I'm so grateful for those who are here. And Lord, there's nobody here who's here by accident. There's nobody here who's here by mistake. Lord, even if their parents didn't plan them, you did. And so, Lord, would you just speak deeply into broken hearts that are here because they desperately need some hope? And would you speak into arrogant hearts and humble them because they just need you? And Lord, would you draw us to yourself to help us depend on you and not ourselves? And would you, by your spirit, convict me of the very things that I'm going to be sharing with everyone else? For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, like Pastor Patrick said, I'm from the recovery, uh, from the recovery house of worship. And i um, really grateful to be with you. I am married, have a wife named Liz, who's at our church holding it down over there. And uh, got five kids. They're dope. Um, like, there they are. Can you see them? Right? So that's my oldest son, Edwin, and then that's my oldest daughter, Serenity. Um, and then we have Grace, Lydia, and little David all the way down on the bottom, who's getting a little bit taller now. And my wife, Liz, who's the same height. And, um, and I'm thrilled to be with you. But the reason I show you that picture is because little David, um, the other day we went to Manhattan. And the reason we went to Manhattan is because we, we just discovered that there's a Krispy Kremes in Manhattan. Anybody down with Krispy Kremes? Go ahead. Yeah, right. It's the anointed donut. It is incredible. Krispy Kremes is really, really, really very good. And so, especially when they come right, like, hot out of the oven, but if they don't, you can take a box home, put a nine, sec nine seconds in the microwave, you're good to go. It's very nice. So I go with my son, and it's in... Um, like 47th Street. Maybe it's 46th, maybe it's 45th, but it's like 47th Street. And so on 47th Street, we're walking, and my son sees, in Times Square, in that vicinity, my son sees the big, um, like, uh, the, 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 the people who are dressed up as, like, Minions or Mickey Mouse or whatever. And they're taking pictures with people. And he goes, Pa! They call me Pa. My kids call me Pa, not Dad. And so they go, Pa! Let's take a picture. I said, no, 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 no. We're not taking any pictures with these guys. And so you just came. Because I don't know if you've ever been bum rushed, bum rushed by a Disney character, but it's no fun, right? Because that's, and for those, the, the ones over here who are not laughing are those who are new to the city. Let me just say, don't take any pictures with any Disney characters or anything like that in the city. It won't go well for you. Okay. So then he goes, oh, look. 
they're giving away um, CDs. And I was like, come here. Don't take no CDs from nobody. What was I doing, right? Right, so I was, what I was doing is like, I'm from Brooklyn, and I grew up in New York, and then there, there are certain, as far as many people as there are in the world, there are that many scams and schemes that exist in the world. And what I was doing is I was protecting my son from something that I could see in the future that I knew would bring him harm and would, would put him in a threatening situation. You know, that's not just true of me with my son. That's true of our Heavenly Father with you. There's a Heavenly Father that you have in heaven who walks with you and, 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 and navigates through life with you. And, he go, and you go, oh my gosh, look at that guy. He's so fun. I can't wait to be with him. And God is like, no, 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 no. Come here. Get a little closer here. And you see that girl and you're like, oh, she's dope and all that. And he's like, no, 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 please. Please, trust me. The dopeness runs out, okay? <laughs> not for you. Maybe for someone else, not for you. There's a God because he wants to protect us from the things that are in this world that would harm us. Now, this is not just true in our day-to-day -day lives. This is true in the long scope of our lives, that there are traps that are set before you all throughout your life, traps that are set for your marriage, traps that are set uh, when you have kids, traps that are set for when you get older in life and looking forward to retirement or even in the middle of life, there are traps that are set for you. If you don't believe me, it says so in the text that we're looking on at, at today. It says this, verse 11. I just want to point this out before I get to the main text that we're going to look on. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that, that's the purpose clause, right? So it's, hey, I want you to put on the full armor of God. Do you know why anybody has to put on the full, why, why anybody has to put on any armor at all? Because there's a fight. Like, you don't have to put on armor if there's no fight, but there's a fight. It's why football players put on their equipment. It's why it, 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 there's a fight. And so because of there is a fight, so that, put on the full armor of God, so that, this is the reason why I want you to put on the full armor of God, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, for some of us, that's a lot to take in. Because number one, you're like, oh my gosh, I was so down with the music, and it was like so nice, and oh, this looks like a great environment to be in. But really, y'all believe in a devil? Like, and it's like, right, there's this, like, picture in our mind of this, like, comic book character or this, like, cartoon that it's, like, it's ridiculous. Nobody believes in a devil. And I just want to push you a little bit. I just want to push you a little bit. There are things that are in this world that can't be explained with your sociology or can't be explained with, they just can't be explained other than there is a person who is not seen, listen, there's a person who's not seen who wants to cause harm and damage to your life. You know, there was a time in the 1800s where people didn't even realize that germs existed. Like, think about this. 
right now, we're all wearing masks because you really believe in this idea, this, this theory that germs exist, that things that are invisible can affect your visible world. And so it is spiritually that things that are invisible affect your physical world. So there is a Satan, and he, do, he wants nothing but harm for you. But it goes, it's worse than that. He not only exists and wants harm, he has schemes. Somebody say schemes. Schemes are plots, plans. I don't know if you've ever been schemed against, but it's never any fun. And it's usually like to set you up for hurt or harm. If you've ever played chess, you know that's all you're doing. All you're doing in a chess game is you're scheming, you're plotting, you're trying to make the other person fall into your traps. Well, Satan has, Satan who is real, who doesn't look anything like the cartoons that we look at. Satan has a trap. He has harm for your life. And he plots a scheme. So if you're, if you're married, the moment that you get married, Satan has, before you got married, Satan has a plot for it. Here's, let, me give, let me give you a very, very popular plot that he has for your, especially if you're newlywed. That your marriage is going to take no effort at all to keep on being romantic and beautiful and joyful. See, if you think that way, you're in Satan's schemes. You're in Satan's plot. He's going to harm you if you think that way. Here's another one. When you have children, all that is is a bigger version of what you had before them. And what you don't know is that whenever you have a kid, I tell this to uh, my folks in counseling. I say, when you have a kid, that kid kills your marriage. And something new has to be created. Which is why a, a husband who has a, a newborn baby and it's their first kid, he's like, she doesn't love me anymore. She doesn't want to pay attention to me. So he starts, what happens from there? There's a girl at the office. Oh, she gives him attention. Oh my gosh, don't you look nice? Oh, what cologne are you wearing? And all that stuff starts to happen. Why? Because he starts believing that she doesn't care. And then the wife, she's going, well, you used to buy me flowers. You used to be more romantic. You're not paying attention to me anymore. And he's like working more at work. And so, again, that, that couple is experiencing a scheme of Satan. Satan has a scheme for you. Now, here's my question. Do you know what it is? If you don't, you're in, you really need this message. You're in worse shape than you think. There's a scheme. Satan has planned it out for you. Whatever scheme that Satan has planned out for me, it's already been birthed in my heart when I was three, four, five, six, seven. Like there are already things that Satan has already plotted in my life that are gaining, um, that, that can gain reality now. So we're talking about this incredibly important subject. Now, if it's true that there's a God in heaven, I'm, I know I'm asking you to believe a lot, but if there's true that there's a God in heaven, and if it's true that there's also a Satan, a, an accuser, a devil, 
who also exists and wants your harm. So there's a God in heaven, there's a Father who wants your good, and there's Satan who wants your harm. Wouldn't it make sense that this God in heaven would want to, like I protected my son from the pictures and from the CDs and from the three-card Montes and from the, you know, from all the stuff that happened, just like I was trying to protect my son from all of this, wouldn't it be, make sense that God would want to protect you? Does that make sense? Okay. Then if it makes sense that he would protect, want to protect you, then he would give you a way of being protected. And he calls this the armor of God. You've been talking about it all this summer, so I don't have to go over it all. But I want to talk to you now about the helmet of salvation. It's another factor, another thing to protect you from Satan's devices. Now, when we think about a helmet, what do we think about a helmet? When we think about a helmet, it protects the brain. It protects my son, my older son. He knows that I like to ride my bike in a irresponsible way. I ride my bike in an irresponsible way. I ride my bike in an irresponsible way to the degree that one time I was just like barreling down a street and I got hit by a car. And it's just like, I'm that guy. Like, I'm just like, I'm, I'm eating lights. I'm like inconsiderate. I don't care. I do. So he knows that about me. And so you know what he says? He tells me every time. He goes, Bob, put on your helmet. Put on your helmet. Why? Because he knows that there's a harm that may happen in the future that the helmet will protect me from. And that if you get hit uh, by a car with a helmet, you have a lot better chance to be able to preach again if, if you have the helmet on. God says, receive. That's what it means to take. It means to receive. It's almost like um, if I was writing with a nice, I like pens. <clears throat> and if I was writing with a nice pen, and you said, that's a lovely pen. I said, oh, you like it? It's like, yeah, it's beautiful. I was like, look, try it out. And you wrote on it, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is way better than a big pen. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, here, take it. Here, take it. All your job at that point is to receive at this point. Listen to me. Take the helmet of salvation means to receive the gift that God is giving you to protect you from harm. I work in a church, and in our church, everybody's like me, a real screw-up, like a real mess. I often go to my church, and I tell them, and I tell them this all the time. I go, guys, you know I'm the worst person here. You know I'm the worst person in this room. And I got a church filled with addicts and alcoholics and people who've been in prison for lots of years for doing really bad things. And you know not one time has ever anybody said, no, that's not true. You're not the worst person here. Because they know. <clears throat> I'm the worst person here. And so I, I, I probably am the worst person here too. And so here's what I want you to know. That in our community and in my life, there's a belief that I'm so bad that I can't be helped. I'm so bad I can't be saved that I'm too far gone. Listen, if you're here, the good news is that Jesus is pursuing you and that his pursuit of you comes with not only him coming to die for your sins and rise for your salvation, but to give you the resources that you need in order to get through life, relationships, and all the other pitfalls of life. So God says, take, receive, take in this thing called a helmet. 
helmet of salvation. Now, when we think about salvation, we think about it in, um, we have to think about it in sort of like the broad scope that the Bible thinks about salvation. The Bible thinks about salvation this way. There is a past, you've been saved. There is a present, you will be saved. And then there is a future, I'm, I'm sorry, there's a present, you are being saved. And then there's a future, you will be saved. That's the way I want us to look at this helmet of salvation and see if we can't put it on because it'll affect every area of our lives. So, the past, you've been saved. Jesus died on the cross really briefly and then we'll go into it a little deeper. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and so you and I don't have to walk around with the shame. You know you walk around with the shame and the guilt and all that other stuff. I don't know if I'm the only one who gets reminded of the sin that he's committed in his life. I'm telling you, I'm the worst person here. Let me share with you how bad I am. I was around 17 years old, 16. I just finished stealing a car. It was Monte Carlo. We really liked Monte Carlos back then. And I had never driven a car before, which is bad if you're a car thief. <laughs> so I'm driving this car, I'm with my boy, his name is Max. <clears throat> no relation to any Max here, I'm sure. Um, and so we're driving, and I'm changing the station. Like, you know, the, back when, you know, you could change the station with the buttons. You know, even your parents aren't old enough to know that. With that. But it's like, you know, there's like the little buttons. It's like one, two, three, four, five. And so you would change. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm changing the station, and Max goes, look out. And there's this van. I get so nervous or excited or frightened that I take my foot off the gas and then on a Monte Carlo SS, this thing could be the Corvette, this thing is fast. I lift up my foot off the gas and slam it on the gas. And I hit this car hard, like I T-bone it. And I run away. And I still don't know if the people that I hit are suffering with um, the bodily harm that I've committed. There's no way for me to find out. I don't know if they lost their lives. I just, what do I do with that? How do I get forgiven for that? Here's what I know. I'm not the only one here with stuff that they did in the past that they're ashamed about and they don't want to talk about. I don't want to share that with you. But what do I do with that? I put on the helmet of salvation. I look in the past and I go, that was horrible. And that was terrible. And I, it was worse than I could ever thought. In fact, that's so bad, it deserves the death penalty. And I'm reminded that Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. And so I put on the helmet of salvation, and I go, that's bad, that's bad. And here's a good, I tell my congregation this all the time, whenever Satan reminds you of your past, remind Satan of his future. You just got to go back, and you just got to go, here's what Jesus has done, that there was a horrible thing, and that's just one of many things that I've done, one of many things that I'm ashamed of. But Jesus has taken that, and he goes, that's so bad, it deserves the death penalty. And rather than allowing me to take on the death penalty myself, Jesus takes 
takes it on himself, takes the burden of my sin. The reason that Jesus is on the cross is because Puerto Ricans T-bone people in a neighborhood that they don't go back to and they don't find out if those people are, any, are, are, are well at all. That's why Jesus is on the cross. He died for me, but he didn't die just for me. He died for you. You see, you put on the helmet of salvation and you reflect back to what Jesus has done and you realize that you are no longer under the penalty of sin. That's the first way we look back. That's how we use the helmet of salvation. When we put on the helmet of salvation, we are saved from the penalty of sin. We don't have to look back and go, I could never be forgiven. There's no hope for me. There's hope for you because there's hope in Christ. And we walk putting on the helmet of salvation because he is our salvation. It's his righteousness that's been bestowed upon us, an alien righteousness that we don't deserve but that we get to hold on to because he did everything for us. It's the helmet of salvation. We are freed from the penalty of sin. When we put on the helmet of salvation, we're not only freed from the past penalty of sin, but also we're freed from the present. He saves us from the present. And here's the deal. There's a power that sin has over some of our lives. When we put on the helmet of salvation, we're freed from the power of sin. So when I was 11, I started to uh, smoke cigarettes and drink. By the time I was 12, I was smoking weed. By the time I was 13, I was doing coke. By the time I was 17, I qualified for a 12-step program. You have no idea what you have to do to use. No idea what you have to do to use drugs at that age. You have no idea the things that you have to say yes to. My soul broke in half. And so there's this long history of addictive behavior. And sometimes I go, I especially remember, I have, I have 30 years clean now, right? I haven't used a drug in like 30 years. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, awesome. Glory to God. Glory to God. Awesome. Yeah. And so, but I remember in year 25, and, and, and again, you have to understand, when, it was, when I first got clean, I was like, I was going to relapse every day, every minute of the day. I was just going to go back. It was just horrible. But I remember in, in year 25, this was like a real, real, real tough time. I was like, I'm going to drink. I can do this now. This was, you know what this was? This was like a, um, uh, uh, a youthful fit of rebellion uh, in my young age. But I'm older now. I can handle it now. Let, let me ask you something. Does that not sound like a scheme to you? Does that not sound like, does that, does that smell of smoke to you? Right? Sounds like Satan. And I was just like, man, I'm going to do it. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. What do you do when the weaknesses that you've given into your whole life come back up again? Some of us. It's with the clicking, clicking on the thing that you don't need to click on. For others of us, it's eating an enormous amount of food. 
only to get a pencil and stick it down our throat so that the effects of our eating are not shown on our body. What do you do? What do you do when there's a, a person at work who's intimidating you and you're, you're, the past has always been, I'm just going to shrink under that. I'm just going to shrink under the intimidation because there, I don't know what else to do. You're tempted to just go, oh, uh, that, that's what I deserve. I, I get beat up on. That's what it is. So here's what you do. You put on the helmet of salvation. You put on the helmet of salvation. You recognize that the power of sin is no longer in authority in your life. I belong to another. If I ever meet any one of my wife's ex-boyfriends, and God forbid that should ever happen. But if I ever meet one of my wife's ex-boyfriends, she would recognize and they would recognize that she is under another lover's care, that she is with someone else, that he is protecting, caring for, and honoring her. He couldn't even mention anything that happened in the past because if he did, he would have me to contend with. Do you understand? She is no longer under his power. She is no longer under his dominion. She is no longer under his care. She is under new care because you put on the helmet of salvation. No, no, no. I no longer have to act out on that. I no longer am a slave to that appetite. I don't have to cut myself and wear long sleeves in the summer. I don't have to act like I'm a slave to this particular addiction. I no longer have to live this old lifestyle that I was living. I no longer have to consider myself the way I even I feel like or anybody else considers me. Listen to me. I can walk free from the power of sin. I could be reminded of passages like James chapter uh, 4 verses uh, 7 through 10 where it says, submit submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That there's a sense where I go, no, 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 I don't have to anymore. I'm no longer bound by your sin. I'm just, I'm no longer bound to it. You know why? Because when I put on the helmet of salvation, I'm freed from the penalty of sin, but I'm also freed from the power of sin. But more than that, because when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about we are saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. When we put on the helmet of salvation, we are saved from the presence of sin. This is, this is super important, especially in my congregation, because a lot of us have made so many mistakes in our lives that we're paying for it forever. I don't know. In my congregation, we have people who decided that like one night of passion, like that was just going to be it. They thought that it was going to end there, and now they got to take medication for like the rest of their lives. I don't know if that's your story, but that's our story, that like we were just going to, uh, um, this, this was only going to be a relationship for a month or two, and, and, now, and now something else has happened. Now I'm attached to this person forever. You see, one day we all look forward to when Christ comes again and he saves us 
from even the presence of sin. This is important. Now, I know that some of you go, you see, this is the kind of stuff I don't like. You know, that sort of pie and pie, uh, you know, pie in the sky, like by and by, that this, this uh, uh, God is going to come again and it's going to come with the new heavens and the new earth. But if we think that way, we'll never address injustices. We'll never deal with um, uh, 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 criminal acts in corporate areas or we'll never address like um, those who are being marginalized. We'll just say, oh, you know what? Uh, it'll be better. And, and I know that in the past, you know, speaking about heaven has been used to oppress people so that they don't rise up. In fact, you know, it's been said as a direct result of that, that, uh, that religion is the opiate of the peoples or the opiate of the masses. Because it thinks that uh, if we think of heaven too much, that we won't do anything over here. That is not true. That is not true. When you really believe in heaven, listen, I have spent the better part of my life more than two decades, I have spent feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, housing the homeless, counseling the bereaved, sending to detox the addicted. We've been doing that, not just, not just me. I mean, I, I don't mean to say me. I mean, God has been doing it through our church. He's been doing that because we believe that he's coming again. Because we believe there's heaven to look forward to. We do it. We, we, we believe that there's injustice and we fight against it because we know that he's coming again. And so when, when we talk about being freed from the presence of sin, we look forward to that when, when the doctor says to me, and one day the doctor, if I live long enough, the doctor's going to say, oh, all right, yeah, so we got to plan your affairs because you're going to die like real soon. And it's, it's going to be a cancer or it's going to be a car. It's like we're, no, nobody gets off this planet alive. Like we're, we're all done for in terms of like our earthly. But because we know that when Jesus comes again, he's giving us a new heaven and a new earth and a new body, we no longer have to fall to the temptation. So like right now I struggle with depression. I don't know if anybody here struggles with depression. And when I get depression, it doesn't happen for a day, a week, or a month. It goes for seasons. And I'm telling you, my depression gets so profound that if you put, if you put a wand on this pulpit, and you said, Edwin, all you have to do is pick up the wand and wave it over your head, and your depression will be gone. I don't have the energy to do that when I'm in my states of depression. I couldn't pick up the wand. Like, it's, it's dark. It's awful. And in those moments, all I could do is weep and go, Jesus, remind me again. You're coming soon. Aren't you coming soon? Tell me. Maybe before lunch. Please, because I need you to come soon. What am I doing? I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. I'm reminding myself that my present woes, that the difficulties that I'm going through, even if it'll never end, even if I have a condition in my body that will take me out, that doesn't get the last word. Cancer doesn't get the last word. HIV doesn't get the last word. Corona doesn't get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. And because Jesus gets the last word, I can trust him that he's coming again. I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. I remember this one time. My wife, um, she set me up in this hotel. I was going to this place, um, to this conference, and my wife set me up in this hotel. And we, our, our habit is always to go the most inexpensive thing. You know what I'm saying? Like we're real frugal. We're like, you know, we want every penny to stretch out as far as possible. And so we, she got me into this hotel. And I was driving in, and I, I can't remember what the name of the hotel was. I think it was um, the Bates Hotel. It was a nightmare. 
I drive into this hotel, and I, just so you know, I grew up in a very bad um, neighborhood. I grew up, in fact, I grew up in a bad neighborhood that most of us can't afford to live in anymore, Greenpoint, back when it was real bad. And so, but now you can't afford to live. Like, Southside, holy cow, isn't this nice? Heroin capital of the world when I was growing up, right? It's unbelievable. So, I grew up in Greenpoint. So, my, uh, that had nothing to do with anything. But, um, uh, but my point was, is that, yeah, this, this was my point. My point was that I'm not, I, I walk down any neighborhood, Flatbush, East New York, Fort Greene, like all these places, you see, me selling is like, those aren't bad neighborhoods. I know. When I grew up, they were bad neighborhoods, right? And so I, I could walk, and I'm telling you, I trooped down like, it's like ain't nobody going to do nothing to me, boy. I, you know, I, I walk with confidence. I can handle myself. I went into this hotel. I was like, oh, dear. <laughs> What's going on here? I was like, this was a nightmare. They were dealing drugs right outside the door, uh, right outside my room, the window of my room. There was prostitution. They were, uh, I, for the first time in my life, I was like, that's what the other people felt like when they came into my room, when they came into my neighborhood. I was the herb. I was the victim. I was like the guy who's like, oh, we're going to rob that guy. I'm that guy. And so I'm looking. I was like, oh, they are going to rob. This is going to end up real bad. And so... I go into, I, you know, I get the thing. I go into my hotel. I open the door, and it's exactly what you expect. There's a chalk mark out of a person's body on the thing, and it's filthy and all that other stuff. And I, and I go, and it's a rental car, so I go to the, the thing, and I, I click the rental car because I want everybody to know that it's locked, you know, so I want the, you know, dee-dee, you know, dee-dee. And I'm doing that every hour or so so everybody can know that it's locked. And I, I remember I'm sitting, in, and I'm genuinely afraid. I'm genuinely scared. And I have, I, it's a new feeling for me. Not, I mean, not, not being afraid. I'm afraid of a lot of stuff. But I'm just saying, I've never been afraid in this environment before. And so, I just, I started to pray. And I said, God, I don't want this. I don't want to live in fear. I don't like this. And so the Lord put it in my heart. He said, all right, you're reading your Bible. Go read your Bible in the foyer. I was like, all right, <laughs> let's do it. So I went to the, here's the thing. I went to the foyer. I started to read my Bible. And the Lord brought, long story short, the Lord brought this woman with two kids. She was having a bat. She didn't even have enough money to stay in the hotel. Found her place to stay with um, uh, one of my guys from the church. He drove all the way up, grabbed her and her two children, and, and like started to take care of her for weeks until she could find some shelter and all that other stuff. My point is, is that, the nightmare that I was experiencing in that hotel room didn't move me because I know Jesus is coming again or because I have a home that's going to, um, you know, is better than this. It didn't lead me to just stay in my room because I knew Jesus was coming. I knew that my life belonged to him, that I could be in the presence of my enemies and, and minister and love and try to start conversations and share scriptures and pray with and and do all that. You know why? Because I'm putting on the helmet of salvation, knowing that in the future. Here's one thing that really comforted me about that hotel. It wasn't where I was going to stay in for the rest of my life. I knew I had one night in that hotel, and then I could go home. Right? Beloved, this whole planet is the Bates Motel. Like, 
when we put on the helmet of salvation, knowing that Jesus is coming again, we encourage others to follow him and enjoy him. Now, imagine if you put on the helmet of salvation, what would it look like? I tell you, you would fret less about your promotion. If you put on the helmet of salvation, you would fret less about your promotion because your identity wouldn't be in your job, it would be in Christ. You would fret less about your relationship with your mother because she no longer has the power over you that she used to. You would enjoy, if you put the helmet of salvation, you would actually be able to enjoy and minister to your mom in the midst of even when she does those little digs. If you put on the helmet of salvation, the depression that you go through may not go away, but you would be able to endure it with greater hope than you presently endure your depression. If you put on the helmet of salvation and all those things that used to call you, you know, like, um, you know, those, the, those sexual relationships, those, those, that alcohol, the drugs, the pornography, the other stuff that calls you, if you put on the helmet of salvation, you would no longer be a slave to it because you recognize that Jesus right now, this second, right now, is working in you to will and to obey according to his good purpose. You would recognize that he's doing this work in you if you just put on this helmet of salvation. So come to him. Come to Jesus. Come to the one who offers this for you. Now, as the um, musicians and the worship leaders um, come up again, I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here, there's a bunch of you here and you know Jesus. And you're here because you know Jesus, you love Jesus, you want, you're down with Jesus. But you just, your helmet's like under your chair. You just forgot. You forgot. You forgot to put on your helmet. And that's why you're having such a, a, a difficult time. That's why the relationship is coming through such, a, is going through such a crisis. That's why you feel on edge. You just forgot to put on your helmet. It's, oh, no, no, no. In the past, I'm free I'm free from the penalty of sin. In the present, I'm free from the power of sin. In the future, I'll be free from the presence of sin. Put it on. Put it on. Those of you who are here, I encourage you to put it on. But for those of you who are here, and maybe you came with a friend, right? Several people have said, oh, look, it's new faces. But maybe you're, you're not just like a, a, a person who hasn't been here for a while. Maybe this is your first time here. Let me just tell you this. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is that you and I don't have to try to pretend to be better than we are because God knows we are worse than we think. Like you really are. Like you know, like, like this, trust me, this is as good as I'll ever look. Ask my wife. Ask my wife. All you and I do to cover up and mask ourselves from letting anybody see how messed up we really are. God already knows we're worse than we think. But the gospel continues and says this, that you are more loved than you could ever dream possible. That he knows you. Imagine that. It's the difference between uh, the first three dates and the 30th anniversary, right? In the first three dates, matter of fact, when I married my wife, that wasn't even the lady I married. It was like a different lady, right? When my wife married me, she married a totally different. She married the guy who every day brushed his teeth, <laughs> every day took a shower, every day put on deodorant. Like, that, that's the guy she married. And then when she got married, she realized, 
you skip a couple of days sometimes, don't you? I know, I'm a mess. It's all right. Well, God knows, God knows that about you and he knows that about me. And he goes, come here, I love you. Are you too good for that? Are you like, nah, nah, you know, I'm not down with that, that's not for me. Oh, if it's true for you, it's true for you, but it's not true for me. How's about true as being true for everyone? Like it's true that you are worse than you think. It's true that he loves you more than you can imagine. And if that's true, you don't have to, the only mask you ever have to wear is the one that you have on your face to protect you from the virus. You can stop fronting, because it ain't easy. You can stop pretending like you're someone you're not, like you have it all together. You could be a mess. Isn't that cool? That we could be a mess around each other and just go, oh, my hope is built on not what my reputation is with you, but my hope is built on what Jesus has done for me. It's the helmet of salvation. Would you receive that good gift? Take it. Take it. Take it. Receive it. That's my prayer for you. Satan has some schemes for you. And even as I've been speaking, you started to recognize some of the schemes that he has working in your life. We have these spaces. There's a carpet over here that represents a space. It's not, it's not just subjected to that one space where the carpet is, but it's around here. And then there's another space around here. And there are going to be people who come up to pray with you if you need prayer. But maybe you just need to go, God, here's the truth about me. What I have on my computer is a scheme that Satan has played. I wouldn't let anybody touch my phone because I'm afraid of what'll pop up. I'm afraid, I, I won't let my wife get on my laptop because I'm afraid of what'll pop up. It's a scheme, it's a scheme. Put on the helmet of salvation, come back to him. Maybe you need some time in prayer for that. Maybe for some of you, you just, just recognize that there are schemes that you don't even understand, but you recognize because you have a friend coming up to you and saying, hey, something's not right here. Something's wrong. And you're, you're fighting it and you're denying it and you're saying, no, not me. And it's like, no, there's a scheme being played out in your life. Beloved, we have opportunity for you to pray and run to Jesus. That's my prayer for you. That you would take this opportunity not to have it all together, not to have it all figured out, Take some time in prayer and even ask Jesus, I don't know what the schemes are. This is a beautiful verse in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It says this, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So the, the places in the front are open for prayer. I'm going to pray for you and ask Pastor Patrick to lead us through the rest of the service. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be reminded, Lord, that there are schemes that are happening in my life that I don't recognize, but that are there. There are also schemes I'm ashamed to say that I've participated in. Forgive me for not having put on the helmet of salvation when you've clearly led me to. 
Forgive me for running from you. Forgive me from, for doing and believing lies. And Lord, I pray that you do the same for the rest of us here. That we're able to come to you and recognize, Lord, that we are broken and that there's an attack on us that we're not strong enough to defend ourselves against, but you're a good, good father who protects and leads us and guides us away from the pitfalls of the enemy. Lord, I pray for those who the party is over and yet they still think that just one more drink will solve it all. Lord, I pray for those who are going on the apps, looking for love in all the wrong places, not realizing that your love is spectacular. I pray for those who have headfirst dived into sin, that you have promised to free. Lord, would you awaken us to that and help us to surrender to you by putting on the helmet that you give called salvation. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.